Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. Pleasure to be uh, sharing with you. It's an honor to be closing on this series of uh, His Kingdom Come. Um, but today we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew seven twenty four to 29. It is the uh, very popular or very familiar verse of the wise and the foolish builder. Um, it is my hope and my, it's, I think, God's heart that you've heard this verse and this parable so many times, but that we are able to sort of find some unhidden, some hidden treasures and perils within that text and be able to see it in a new way. So as, uh, as we get started, before we write, uh, jump right into the text, I just sort of wanted to to share a personal story, um, I'm sure some of you are familiar with uh, me. For those that don't know me, um, I am an immigrant. I come from South America. Um, uh, it's a small country that it is right next to Brazil and Argentina. It's called Paraguay. Few people heard of it. It's very small. But the importance of the story is that it's really interesting being an immigrant because I've been in this country for about 10 years. And what, what happens is I came when I was 16 years old, and uh, it was sort of a, a very sort of pivotal moment of formation and sort of how you see the world. Um, and I came by myself into the middle of America, Indiana, Goshen, Indiana. As part of that, what is the very interesting sort of life lessons I had was that I was, after being in the United States, completely away from family and my own culture, I was able to see... Uh, things differently. I was able to sort of really immerse myself in the American culture and being able to learn it and to learn its traditions and, and the ways of doing things here. And the very interesting thing that happened is when I would go back, when I would go back to my own home country, the country that raised me, the country that uh, taught me how to think, I would go back and I would see things differently. And I'm not going to get into specifics of each culture, but it was like, huh. We do it that way, and I've been doing it that way all this long. But it, is, it wasn't until I had that third party, the sort of bird's eye view into my own culture and into my own behavior that I was able to see myself as an external person. And so having that, it's really sort of try to help build conscientiousness in me with what are other things that I do that I'm not able to see just because I'm staring at it all day long. And so as we read the text, I want to encourage you to have that, those fresh eyes of an immigrant, uh, of uh, sort of put yourselves a little bit in the table and look at yourselves um, as an external person or, or see your, your character and see the text as a new text, almost as if you're an immigrant. So with that said, let's, um, if you could please open your Bibles. Uh, and the text is right behind me, so we're just going to read it together here. So Matthew seven twenty four through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears his words of mine and does not put them into practice 
is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with great crash. When Jesus has finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings. Because he has taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. So, as we read this text, you know, where our minds usually go, where the message usually go, is uh, that analogy of a construction worker building a foundation. One of the things that they taught us in the preaching course is to never break the, one of the golden rules of communication, and that is to establish credibility. So I am going to be breaking that very rule this morning. Perhaps it's going to be my last message, but... <laughs> Uh, I know nothing. I am the least qualified to talk about construction in this church. Uh, so we will try to find new, we will find new, new messages in this text. Um, but as I was looking at this text um, and reading over and over and over, I tried to I'd really ask God, what are new things that this text can speak to us? And I think three questions really came to mind. The first question is, I understand it doesn't take an engineer to know that you need to build a house on a strong foundation. But what was puzzling to me, why would anyone want to build their house on the sand? So that's the first question. Why, why would we build a house on the sand? The second question we're going to be taking a look is, why do we need a strong foundation? And the third question that we're going to be taking a look here this morning is, what can we do to build a strong foundation? And... Uh, if you could please advance to the next slide. The, uh, all those questions point back to the fact that to obey his teaching is to bring his kingdom. To act on his teachings is to bring his kingdom. And we're going to be unpacking those three questions as we go. But as we focus on the first question, why would we build a house on sand? You know, it's really interesting because coming back to my example of, of, of an immigrant, it's sort of, this text uses a very strong language of that of a foolish person. And let's be honest here, we are all sort of, we never want to consider ourselves to be foolish. I mean, who would want to do that, right? It's a pretty strong language. And so, as I was thinking about this verse, I think we are tempted to think of ourselves, oh, it is certainly I am an intelligent person, so I can never build a home on the sand. Of course I'm not doing that. And I think we're tempted to go there. But as we look at Jesus' teachings, I think one of the things he's really bringing forth is the fact that the storms will come. Life is difficult. A child will get sick. A job loss will occur or likely to occur. The life of, of a Christian to live in Christ, it isn't not to face difficulties. And I think as, as, as we look at human nature, we sort of understand that one of the first things we do as humans when we, when we face difficulties, when we face struggles and trials, is to wanting to, you, you often hear it, to cope with it. I think one of the first things we do is try to numb ourselves and to try to sort of push away from that tr- from that trial, push away from that difficulty. And I think as we look at this foolish builder building uh, on sand, I think we must not be, 
we, we, must, we mustn't kid ourselves. It is our human nature to build on sand. It is our human nature to, when we face difficulties, not to, to wanting to run away from his kingdom teachings. And for that very reason, I believe Jesus is, is, is telling us and is forewarning us, when storms come, you have to be prepared and you have to previously have practiced the things I taught on the Sermon of the Mountain so that when those things come, you don't follow your human nature of that of numbing yourself, of that of escaping to alcohol, of that of escaping to drugs, of that of you know, uh, not handling conflict correctly and leading to a divorce. Or, 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 or if you look at, if we look at human nature, I mean, it, it, it isn't our human nature to love our enemies as ourselves. In fact, that is the last thing we do. And then we ask, I am not a fool, but I, I don't think Jesus is saying, I think Jesus is saying, be careful of your own, your own self. Be careful because you do build on sand. So we looked at uh, why, why would anybody build a house on sand? And, and, and I, I truly do think that it, it, Jesus is saying that when life is difficult, uh, you will want to uh, face it the wrong way and uh, to uphold the Sermon of the Mountain uh, teachings in those difficult times is really what's going to get you through. But then, all right, so we understood, we understood that we have a tendency of perhaps dealing with problems with our, own, with our own flesh. But then, okay, so we know that, but then why do we need a strong foundation? You know, why can we just be intelligent about the conflicts and the difficulties that come to us? Why do we need, uh, why do we need a Christian, why do we need Christ's foundation in our own life? I'd just like to point out that it is, it is very interesting to, to sort of see, I always see this sort of dichotomy of um, Jesus' teachings and his kingdom, and, and then the opposite of that. What is the opposite of that? Jesus, on, on the Sermon of the Mount, talks about being light in the darkness, being salt in a decaying world, loving your enemies. And the opposite of that really is, the opposite of bringing his kingdom is, is the absence of God is hell. And I am not saying that hell isn't a real place. I am, it is a real place in the spiritual realm, but one of the things that um, Leanne and I had the opportunity to visit this, this uh, past summer, this summer is a concentration camps in, in Nazi Germany or in, in outside of Berlin. And hell, it's a real place. Hell is very real. And it's, if we're not careful to... Uh, I think one of, let me go back to this, but I think one of the temptations that the enemy puts on us is that we hear the same verses over and over and over, and, and they almost become, we become almost numb to it, and they're no longer new to us, and we forget to it. And, and so, because we hear it so often, they're no longer true. And because of that, we open up ourselves to forget those teachings. And then hell happens, divorce happens. I mean, hell, I believe here on earth, is the absence of Christ. It's the absence of his kingdom. And so as we take a look, at the, as we're finishing the, uh, the series, it is, interesting, it is interesting to think that 
every one of the teachings of the Sermon on the Mountain are actionable steps that we can do in order to bring his kingdom. And if we don't do them, do not be fooled. Do not be fooled. The only thing that can occur if Christ is not there is hell. And it does happen. And that's a scary thing. And the reason why I'm sort of strong about this is because Jesus did preach with authority uh, as, as, as the uh, verse ends. And, and when, when I was in high school, one of the things that uh, I, I, was, I went to a pilot, uh, pilot, private, private, private ground school. And in that uh, school, we looked at uh, having checklists. And checklists were very important so, as, so that even though you get the same checklist, check that the oil is uh, fully, you know, is fully uh, filled, you check that the flaps work correctly, part of, the pilot, part of the checklist is even though you see that thing every day, if you're a pilot, you still need to run through the checklist because if you miss any one of them, that can be fatal. I think that's what Jesus is saying here is that if we don't act on every single one of uh, these, uh, the teachings that he gives us on, on the Sermon of the Mountain, we, we will not be bringing his kingdom here. What is interesting, too, as we look at this, what Jesus is not saying, he is not saying, but everyone who hears his words and, and, uh, of mine and does not put it into practice will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not saying that. He is not saying that if you don't obey this, you will lose salvation. But what he is saying is, uh, if you don't put into practice uh, these words of mine, is you are like a foolish man. So what I'm trying to get with this is that if we don't follow these practices, this will affect the now, the today, your daily life, your family, your community, your church. And as we look at the third question, um, what can we do to build a strong foundation? I, coming, back to, coming back to the example of we can be, you know, we can be, very, we, we can be very numb to hearing the same things over and over. And I think that is, again, one of the strategies on the enemy that we need to be aware of. And so Jesus is incredibly clear and in this text that to know intellectually intellectually, and to put them into actions are two things completely different. And, and, and it is, we are incredibly tempted to know these things from an intellectual perspective. But if we were to put them into practice, how much more harmonious our lives would be. And I think that if we look at all the characteristics of God's kingdom, of peace, of love, of kindness, of... If, if we look at that, and then we look at everything that causes chaos and violence and everything that, that destroys families and destroys societies, it's the opposite of his kingdom. And so as we look at, as, as, as we look at having a strong foundation, I think it's interesting because as we look at this verse, um, and if Jesus was preaching the sermon right here, right now, we would be hearing the entire sermon Right? Likely he would be preaching for the entire sermon and would be, we would be hearing something to the extent of build your core on this. Be the light in the darkness and salt in a decaying world. Do not be angry with others. Don't lust. To love, love your enemies as yourselves. 
Give and attend to the needy. Fast and do not boast about it. Focus on heavenly treasures as opposed to earthly ones. Do not worry about tomorrow and trust for God's provision. Do not judge or you will be judged too. Ask and you will be given. And so Jesus would have said all these things. And at the end, like a loving father, he would say, and you will forget these things. And for that very reason, do not be a fool because it will be your human nature to forget these things. So it is incredibly important that Jesus sealing the Sermon of the Mountain by, by saying to us, I love you and I know you and I know almost like a son that's going off to college. Don't forget to take your medicines. Don't forget, don't forget to take your alarm clock. I... I I just want to encourage you that the Sermon of the Mountain means nothing without action. Jesus is, it's, it, 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 we have to be careful not to hold it in an intellectual place, but to bring it back to our lives. When we are faced with a struggle at work, when we're faced with a struggle with our families, and am I loving that person just like uh, I am loving myself? Jesus is a realist, um, and I, I love that... Um, that's one of the things that um, uh, Steve mentioned, that every, you know, as I mentioned, every Sermon on the Mount is a loving instruction on how to live your life. And it's not just a nice, encouraging thought, but it is almost like an, a, a checklist. It is almost like a step-by-step instruction manual on how to live our lives. And so if I, if I could just pray uh, for, 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 for this message. Lord, I just pray, Father, that we won't become numb to these instructions you've given us. That we wouldn't just hold it in somewhere in our, in our heads, and, but that we would put it into practice. That we would understand that, that these teachings are incredibly important for us uh, to build your kingdom here. And the opposite of not having your kingdom here is death and hell. I just pray, Lord, that um, we would take these teachings incredibly serious, Lord, and we would be able to bring it to every aspect of our lives. Amen. Luis, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. In essence, what Luis has done is he's shown what we've planned to do this whole series, and that is to take the words of Jesus and not give our thoughts about them, not give some nice uh, ideas behind them, but actually take the very words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount and show how we can practically put them to use in our daily walk, how we can not have just this intellectual understanding or, or have heard about them, but to actually walk them out. That was very encouraging. So we're concluding the series And I wonder if you can turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read from verses 13 to 14. As we said, Jesus is concluding his sermon on the mount. He's he's bringing it to a conclusion. And all that's been spoken about over the last few weeks, Jesus is now looking for a response. Let's see what he says. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate And broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. He's working everything he said over the last few weeks that we've heard into a response. 
Over the last few weeks, he's drawn comparisons. He's shown the way of the world, the way of the Pharisees, and the ways of the teachers of the law. And like Louis said, with authority, he has come and he's presented another way, a different way to love a different way to pray, a different way to give, and a different way to live. And there's so many other differences he does. And he shows and he says, enter now through the narrow gate. He says, all that you've seen in the world, all that you've seen from the teachers of the law, all that you've seen from the Pharisees, that is one way. But now, make a decision. I'm calling a response out of you. How will you respond to this message that I've just preached? Will you just have this intellectual knowledge or, like Louis said, will you put it into action? And would we embody the message like Jesus embodied it and walk it out? And he says, I've called you now and I want you to make this decision. I want you to enter through the narrow gate. That's my way versus the way of the world, which is the wide gate. And here we see Jesus on a mountain speaking to God's people who are disillusioned. They've lost understanding of how to relate to God. They've lost understanding of how to relate one another. They're lost like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus comes and brings instruction. A revolutionary message that turns the world upside down. A countercultural message in the face of everything that the world was saying. Jesus says, no, 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 this is the way. And you know, the more I think about it, there's a striking resemblance to another time in biblical history where God raised up a deliverer, took him up a mountain and gave him a message to deliver to his people. This happened 1,400 years before Jesus is on the Sermon of the Mount, and it was to do with a man by the name of Moses. God's people, Israel, were in slavery in Egypt, and God raises up Moses to be their deliverer. And he delivers them, and he leads them out of Egypt, and they're wandering around in the desert on their way to the promised land. But just like the people Jesus was talking to, they needed vision. They needed someone to show them how to relate to God, how to relate to one another, They were free from slavery, but still the slavery clung to them, and they didn't know how to respond to one another and how to relate to God. So God calls Moses up a mountain, and he gives him the Ten Commandments, and he gives him the law, which was God's message, God's countercultural message for his people, God's revolutionary way that was different to anything they'd experienced, and it would help them relate to God and relate to one another. And this is what Moses had to say. And notice how it's very similar to what Jesus says. It says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. God's speaking to his people. I've set before you life and death. Choose life. 1,400 years later, Jesus speaking to God's people. See, I set before you today life and death, the narrow gate and the narrow road leading to life, and the wide gate, and the wide road leading to destruction. It was always God's plan to take a people and bring them close to himself, make them his treasured possession, show them his ways and show them his glory so that the rest of the world could see it and say, there's something different there. I need that and I want that. And through that people, they would see God and come to know God. And yet Jesus is writing the way. He's delivering a message that's going to show us how to have right relationship with God and right relationship with others, so much so that we reveal God wherever we go and we embody the Sermon on the Mount just like Jesus did. And Jesus says we all have a choice to make. 
Jesus' teaching is not just a once-off decision. This isn't a, hey, put your faith in Christ and it's all done. No. Jesus is the gate. He's the starting point. And we put our faith in him. And once we put our faith in him, it starts the journey of every day. Walking and living with him as we attempt to fulfill what he's promised in the Sermon on the Mount. We all have a choice to make. How will you respond to the Sermon on the Mount? Of all that Jesus has said. Let's try to apply it and let's get brutally honest with ourselves this morning and ask ourselves this question. Which part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount do I find most challenging and difficult to obey? And what choice will I make today? Maybe it's the choice to forgive. Maybe it's the choice to love unconditionally, regardless of who, what, how, when, and what they've done. Maybe it's the choice to deny myself. You see, Jesus gives us One option. Sorry, two options and one choice. Two options and one choice. He says there's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. There is a narrow road and there is a wide road. There is life and there is destruction. And the choices are mutually exclusive. What that means is by choosing one, you're not choosing the other. And by not choosing one, you are choosing the other. It's an inescapable decision we have to make today. How will we respond? Because to choose not to respond is actually responding and taking the wide road. We all have a choice to make. How will we make it? And the second thing we take away from this this morning is this. There's no middle road. They're mutually exclusive. There's no middle road. There's no third gate. There's no third road. There's no third way where I get to just decide and put the two together. There's only two. Sometimes it's like breakfast in the Whitaker household. We'll be getting the children ready for school in the morning, and we'll say, right, your two options are granola and yogurt or flapjacks. Is that clear? And Rock would say, can I have a peanut butter toast? Granola, yogurt, flapjacks, cheese toast. Granola, yogurt, flapjacks, those are your only two. There's no third option. And sometimes when we approach the the Sermon on the Mount, we have a buffet approach. And we've got to remember that when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, it's not like we can pick and choose which we want to obey, which suits us. It would be so culturally relevant for me to say, you know, all roads lead to Rome. I wouldn't be persecuted for that. I wouldn't be considered hate speech if I were to say, hey, you can go any way you want and we'll both arrive at the same destination. Jesus doesn't allow us that syncretism. He doesn't allow us to just put everything in a pot and hope that eternal life pops out. And for that we'll be persecuted, and for that we'll be judged, and for that we'll be called bigots, and for that we'll be ostracized, and for that we will face suffering. But Jesus said it, and he didn't say it weakly. He said it strongly. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no middle road. And it's not a buffet where I look at the Sermon on the Mount and I see, yeah, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Well, I'm going to take all these things and try to add them to me, but seek first the kingdom, that's a little tough. I'll take two scoops of this. Thank you. Prayer and fasting. Yeah, I get prayer, but man, fasting, I'm more of a feasting kind of guy. Lord Jesus, I'm not going to dip in that bowl of suffering. Thank you very much. Love your neighbor? Yeah, I can do that. Love your enemy? No way. It's not going to happen. Do you know what he said about me? Do you know what he did to me? And I'll love my neighbor because that's comfortable. 
And I mix it all together and hope that life pops out. And like Luis is saying, we don't get life. We have hell on earth. Jesus says, come to me, the narrow gate. There's no middle road. There are two gates and we must choose. Either the small gate leading to a narrow road which ends in life. Or the wide gate leading to a wide road ending in destruction. Let's look at this a little more. Let's look at these words that Jesus is using. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the path that leads to destruction and many enter it. We're going to look at the word broad. But small is the gate. We're going to look at that and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Small is the gate. What does that mean for us? It means that when I come to this gate, it's narrow, it's confined, and I have to leave everything behind. You see, there's another gate that's wide, and I can come and do what I want at that gate. I can keep my sinful nature. I can keep my pride and my selfish ambition. I can keep my deceitful desires, and I can be happy, and I can just go and do whatever I want. And I find there's this other gate that I come to, and it's, it's, it's narrow, it's constricted. And the more I try to come to it, the more I realize that it's in the shape of a cross. And the only way through it is to take Jesus at his word and say, I believe in you. I believe that you washed me free of my guilt, of my sin, and of my shame. I find myself at the foot of this cross, at the gate, Jesus, you, your body broken for me. And I don't stay there. You see, the cross welcomes us to come as we are, but as we step through the cross... We welcome God to change us into his likeness. And there I cannot just be who I want to be. There I have to leave my burdens, my shame, and my sin, which is great. But also I need to surrender my desires, my dreams, my hopes, my plans. Because it's there that I realize I am being bought with a price. There's a narrow gate. It's small and constricting. Let's look at the word broad. That means spacious and wide. In other words, easy. There's an easy way. The word narrow means constricted, like I've said, persecuted and hard-pressed. In other words, hard. The world would have us just choose the easy way, and Jesus comes with the Sermon on the Mount and says, you've got to make a choice on how you're going to live. There's no middle road. Will you take the easy way or will you take the hard way? And it's not all doom and gloom, but there is a lot of doom and gloom within it. But it reminds me of a man by the name of Paul in the New Testament who was all in for Jesus because he realized that Jesus was all in for him. He realized that Jesus gave all of himself on the cross, that Jesus lived all of his life in perfection so that all of our lives could be made perfect. And Paul wrote this about this narrow and hard road in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8 and 9. He said, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. There's no middle road. Jesus shows us what's in store. Difficulty, hardship, suffering, pain, like we said. And Jesus also shows us what's at stake. Destruction or life. Choose life. The road may be filled with suffering, but the reward is life eternal. There's no middle road. Let's apply this to our lives. What area in my life am I not all in for Jesus? What area right now in my life am I holding back? I may have put my faith in Christ and entered through the gate, but as I'm trying to walk out this narrow road, I'm, I'm resisting God and resisting certain areas. What areas in my life am I not all in for Jesus? 
We have to respond and there's no middle road. What am I going to do about it? Jesus wants to know. This leads to me to my final point about this morning. As I said, it's not all doom and gloom and hardship, although there is a lot of that. And the point is this, there is life on the narrow road. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Yes, it will be hard. Yes, we will be persecuted for our faith. Yes, we will experience difficulty and more. But there is life on the narrow road. The word used to describe life, there is the word zoe or zoe. And it means life in abundance, the absolute fullness of life. There's life on the narrow road. You know, we need to know what's in store. We need to know that it's going to be difficult. But we also need to know that there is a reward to choosing the narrow gate. There is a reward to humbling ourselves and taking a step every day with Jesus on this narrow road. And it's called life and life to the full. See, it's not just about escaping destruction. But it's about living the very life that God designed for you and me to live. Every single day, an intimate relationship with him. Walking out this narrow road. We need a theology of suffering and of blessing. Let's go through some verses. While it's difficult, while it's hard, while we are persecuted, while we are suffering, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Could it be that while we are suffering, there is rest for the weary soul? Is that you this morning? Are you hard-pressed on every side? Are you being persecuted? Are you just struggling through life and saying, God, I need your rest? It's found in Jesus. It's found at the narrow gates. It's found on the narrow path. What about this one? In this world, you will have trouble. It's my life verse. I can't, every, almost 90% of the sermons I've ever preached have included this verse somehow. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The very world that seeks to overcome you and destroy you. Fear not, I have overcome it. In my suffering, in my pain, in my hardship, in in my difficulty walking through this narrow road, I know that I have one with me who has overcome, the very one who is trying to overcome me. Two more scriptures before we end. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have life and life to the full. And this one I can't get away from. Surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous and surround them with favor like a shield. In my suffering, in my hardship, in my wrestling, am I constantly experiencing and expecting the life of God that says I am blessed, that says favor is my portion? The way to experience this is to be all in with Jesus. It's to take the Sermon on the Mount and to say, I'm going to put it into action. The starting point is coming to Jesus and saying, I put my faith in you and in you alone. I'm not going for the syncretism of the world where I'm going to mix everything together to suit me and my buffet-type life. I'm going to take you at your word, and I'm going to do my best to walk every step with you, Jesus. What happens is when we put our faith in Christ, the Bible says the very Spirit of God that raised Christ up from the dead, the very Spirit of God that enabled Jesus to walk this perfect life lives inside of us. And we are able to walk out this narrow road because if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, the moment we read it, maybe there's there's foolish optimism inside. Hey, I can do this. Day one, hopeless despair. And we realize we cannot keep up with what Jesus has presented. But when we put our faith in Christ, the Spirit of God is inside of us. And He enables us to walk every day with Him. And He helps us produce this fruit. He helps us keep this this Sermon on the Mount. He helps us walk it out by His power that is inside of us.
How do we apply this to my life? And with this I end. Am I experiencing and expecting life on the narrow road? There is a choice that needs to be made this morning how we will take Jesus at his word or just intellectually. There is no middle road, but the fruit and the result of it is life on that narrow road. I wonder if we could close our eyes, please. It's been a phenomenal series where we've looked at the, G- at the words of Jesus and we've embraced them and said, God, God, change us. Help us live this out. But you might be here this morning and you realize that actually maybe you've been living a version of Christianity that's been your parents' version of Christianity. You've just believed what they've told you and you've kind of lived how you've wanted to live and you realize this morning that the starting point for you is actually faith in Christ, your own personal relationship with Christ. Where maybe you've held that everything can go. You've held to the syncretism of the world. You're saying this morning, actually, I realized this morning that I need to take the narrow road while all eyes are closed. If that's you, I would love to pray with you. If you have not yet put your faith in Christ, would you raise your hand so that I can know who I'm praying with? If you have not yet put your faith in Christ, and this morning you're saying, actually, I need to take that narrow, that narrow gate. Is there anyone here? A few more moments. Second group of people I'd like to pray for is that you say, I put my faith in Christ. I've, I've gone through that experience, that, that experience of giving my life to God, but I realize that I've still been trying to live this my own way. I've still been trying to include the wide road and not the narrow road. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand and I'd love to pray with you. If that's you and you would like to respond to God this morning, there's a hand. Thank you for that. Thank you for that hand. This hand's going up. Thank you. You're not responding to me. You're responding to your heavenly Father. The Father heart of God is here saying, I love you and I have a plan for you. Once you've put your hand up, you can put it down. God, we come to you this morning and we say, we need you. Where we've been trying to live this life our own way, Lord God, we submit to your way. We come to you, Jesus, and we put our faith in you and we say, not only be our Savior from our sin, be our Savior that leads us in the way and delivers us in this life. Help us experience this life everlasting that you promised right here, right now. Help us see the life in the narrow road, especially when we're suffering and when we're going through hard times. In Jesus' name, we pray. Let's just take a moment. Another moment. Just wait on God for another moment. We believe in all of Jesus for everyone, but it starts with all of us for Jesus. And this morning, Jesus, we give ourselves to you. We lay our lives at your feet. We say, let your kingdom come. Thanks again for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us. Church in the City, all of Jesus for everyone.